The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Just stone cold set up. If you're gonna blitz... Come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's proceedings. We have a loaded edition of the Blitz this week. Big 12 Media Days fallout. I've been down at the Texas High School Coaches Association Coaching Convention and Coaches School, which is... uh, it's it's football bliss for those of you who have never been, and those of you who have been know exactly what I'm talking about. So we'll break that down. Steve Sarkeesian held court on Sunday. I was down there for that, as was my colleague Mike Roach. Nick Harris was down there. A lot of horns 24-7 representation down in San Antonio for coaching school this year. So we'll talk about all of that on this week's edition of the podcast. But before we do anything else, i got to remind you, to search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast, click the follow button to get every episode of The Blitz when it drops across all your favorite podcast platforms on Tuesday mornings. However you listen to The Blitz, wherever you listen, we thank you so much for doing it. But please subscribe to the show. Leave us a review. That five-star designation would be awesome if you can do that. That's in part how we keep this thing going. So thank you so much for your continued support of Longhorn Blitz. Let me bring in the rest of the team that will be alongside for this adventure. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing well, man. How about you? So for those of you who don't know, before we went on the air here to record, Matt and I were having a conversation about backwards hats, uh, <laughs> did that conversation make you want to turn the hat around, Matt? Or you no, nope. yeah, I've always okay. sort of been like, eh, it's most comfortable, wear it that way. Yeah, just go against the Also, grain. radio, <laughs> it's hard. It's like your head, see this thing, you can bump things and oh, stuff. So, true. And I move my you know, limbs a lot, so it's better to turn it around. Bill won't hit something. Uh, <laughs> a man who doesn't wear his hats backwards, he wears them front-facing. And if you give him a good quality free hat, 
He will wear that hat to the fullest possible right. extent as he's doing. Oh, now I forgot. Did you pay for that Austin FC hat? I did actually. Okay, I did. So I'm actually I'm down for the cause. Man, I paid for this one. Okay, mm-hmm. Austin FC. You have the support <laughs> uh, of the third member of our team, our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz, lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos. And a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he's a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, unless you're a white cornerback because he contributed to your demise. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Fraud Papers. Hey, man, I've always tried to right that wrong since you that have. happened, man. You I've have. been trying my best to uh, support the white defensive back, uh, whether it be the white safety or the white cornerback, and I'm looking to bring back the, the white cornerback. You should get a mural flag that's got, like, Jason Seahorn and Adam Archuleta and oh, John man. Lynch on there and just, and just yeah. carry it around. Like, you know, like soccer fans carry around flags. You should, like, wear it. Just carry it like a banner. The right? white safety is is still doing around. very well. Yes. But the white cornerback is just, I mean, it's more past the endangered species phase. I think we're at the point now where – we could be talking about extinction. Mm, yes. We don't want. We don't want that. We don't. We want. We don't want extinction. So I'm looking to this to get a few white cornerbacks at a very young age. You know, groom them, try to mentor them, and hopefully we can. You know, preserve the white cornerback. Bring it back. Rod, right. Rod's gonna have a Rod's gonna have a developmental program just for white cornerbacks. <laughs> it might not be PC these days. It's gonna be, but you know, I'm just trying to. Trying to right that wrong, man. That'd be the little we- black be, guilt going on here. Be one of the weirdest. It would be one of the weirdest <laughs> training programs ever. But if I could make it happen, it's like, it's like Rod. Rod, you want to work with big time NFL guys? No, 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 no. I've got this. Got this kid over like Travis. I see something in him. But imagine if I did actually start a pipeline. Yes. Of white cornerbacks. They're like really good, all American players, first round picks. People will be coming. I would become like the greatest defensive back mind of all time. It may actually be <laughs> a very like uh, just not, I'm not ignored, oh, but dude. an area where you might be able to find a few gems that weren't yeah. necessarily dude, there. I'd become like the black Sean McVay if I did that. Like Vi- <laughs> Vice would give you your own reality show, and I'd say Vice because it's that's the kind of reality show that Vice would. You be would. They'd be like, it's yes. something going on, man. It's unbelievable. So bizarre. This one so black bizarre. guy, he's just bringing back white cornerbacks. It's all, he, that's all he cares about. <laughs> yes, because we all grew up with, like, say, safeties, like Bill Bates to oh, your yeah. modern days Heath, but not those corners. John Lynch. Cornerbacks, there man. Yeah, the white cornerback was just, it was, it was rare even when it was still a thing, it was rare. Now it's, you can't ever find yeah, it. Yeah, any almost any any high level of football, like really high, the highest level. None. So. so if you're, I don't care if you're playing Division three football, low-level high school football. Hit me up. If you're a white corner out there, Rod Babers has your back. Slide into my DMs, man, and let's make this happen. Mm-hmm. Rod, <laughs> I've said this before, and I'll just reiterate it on what the air. White Lightning. What's his name? If, the guy from H Town. When it went to Georgia. Ah oh, man, I'll you remember? You remember? It, it, it's I'll called the White Lightning. Lightning. I forgot his name. The kid from Strict Jesuit. Why yes. is his name escaping me right now? I don't now? know either. But I think he called him White Lightning. He was unbelievable. I should hit him up via Twitter, like, "Hey man, you want to play cornerback?" <laughs> He's going Bowling. to Georgia. <laughs> Matt Bowling. Matthew Bowling. Okay, that's, Turns yeah. out not gonna happen. He's going to Georgia though. I mean, he's at Georgia now. So running track. Matt Bowling. Yeah. Carry so, smart, get on it. <laughs> uh, on to more pressing matters. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys for holding it down while I was on vacation oh, last week. No problem, brother. You deserve it. Great show. Uh, I didn't know where you wanted to start this week, Rod. So I'll just do it like this because I heard you talking about this on your show. By the way, Rod's on the horn. It's part of the triple option each and every weekday. 
from three to seven with RBKD, JB, uh, Brad Kellner, and Kevin Dunn as part of that trio. But I heard you talking about defensive philosophy and going through some numbers of NFL teams, and it seems like dime is becoming more of a a base defense for a lot of NFL teams. And yeah, you know the the trends we've seen in the Big Twelve. It seems mm-hmm. like the rest of football is five five to seven years behind, but yep. everybody's starting to catch up now with multiple DB packages. But I thought about that in relation to the Texas defense. We've had this conversation about the Texas defense a lot. Like, what are they going to be? How how much is Pete Kwiatkowski going to have to change things almost week to week based sure. on your opponent and yep. what your personnel is going to look like? And I thought it was really interesting. So one of the reasons why I love coaching school and going down there is the coaches are so much more laid back than they are at, like, Big 12 Media Days mm-hmm. because they're they're amongst their peers. Yeah, that's uh, true. And it's just we're just laid back talking ball. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get to chop it up with, uh, even as a media member, not not like it's an extensive amount of time, but you could chop it up with Jimbo Fisher or Jake Spavadol or Seth Luttrell and just really just sit around and talk ball for a yep. while. It's, it's really, Asking, even as a media member, I mean, yeah. we don't get as much time as the high school coaches do, but it's still a, a really – You can throw him out a football fun. theory question and – He'll sit there and hold court with well, you. And, and I did. I kind of did that with Dave Aranda a little bit during, oh, that's Dave, fun. during Dave Aranda's press conference. I'll tell you what, like he's a soft-spoken guy, but he's really impressive. I didn't know this about Dave Aranda. Did you know he was a philosophy major? I did not. Yeah. I did not he's know a philosophy that. major, so wow. he's just a different, like a different kind of thinker. And we were talking about just kind of just conceptual football. And he was talking a lot, you know, he's a base 3-4 guy. I mean, Todd Orlando's kind of from that Dave Aranda yeah. tree. Is like you Utah talked about State that. They're very similar family. in their yeah. conceptually what they believe. The, yeah. Here's the difference with Dave Aranda, though. And I think this goes back to Pete Kwiatkowski and kind of his mm-hmm. background and being, Rod, to use one of your terms, being malleable to mm-hmm. his personnel. And I think this is what makes Dave Aranda one of the best defensive minds in college football. Yes, he's a 3-4 guy. But he was talking about how, through all his stops, how he's had to adjust the personnel and make it different. Mm-hmm. Like he, he talked, he went back to his time at Hawaii, and he said basically the strength of his his defense at Hawaii was they had some noses and three techniques that go. were just bad dudes. There and he said, look, they played more of just true four down with ends that were like six one two ninety because exactly right. those are the best guys they had. Those yeah. guys were just disruptive and hey. We're just going to get our best guys on the field, and it's this these five defensive linemen. We're just going to rotate them and just play more four down. Damn right. Then he goes to Utah State, and they didn't have those kind of defensive linemen at Utah State. They didn't have access to them. Yeah. But what they did have was a lot of DBs. Mm-hmm. So he talked about there. You play more base nickel. You play more dime. He said there were packages where they had seven DBs on the field. Mm-hmm. He said there was a. He said he had a third down package where they had literally one defensive lineman on the field. Yep. So he said, "You really hey." He said they had to get creative and use more defensive backs. Then he talked about going to Wisconsin, and as he put it, he's like, "The state of Wisconsin, you get the biggest human beings you've ever seen in your life." Yeah, you got access to JJ Watts. He, yeah, he said, he said it's a lot of it's a lot of <laughs> that kid, looks like a walk on. It's a lot of it's a lot of kids that thought they were going to be centers or power forwards in basketball, but they end up being great offensive tackles and four mm-hmm. uh, four eye techniques. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but Iowa State likes to use. Yeah, yeah. so he said there mm-hmm. you were more of a true – you could be more of a true 3-4 because you, you can recruit, you have access to those four-eye techniques that can Great hold point. the point and allow your linebacker to flow and be active. Mm-hmm. Then he goes to LSU and he says then he had to change his line of thinking because as we know with LSU's personnel, you get really athletic defensive access linemen to the, yeah. that are better penetrators and disruptors, mm-hmm. so you really just got to kind of cut loose and let them go. Mm-hmm. 
that, and that's kind of what he was talking about. He's like, you, <laughs> I was taking notes, and, and I, I, the it's term he stuff, used. Man. I love that, that he evolves with the eco, whatever ecosystem he's in. And like, I've always said this, and, you know, I think it's just a great philosophy about life and football. Life and football is a constant struggle between what you want to be and what you need to be mm-hmm. in order to survive. And usually what you want to be, it's like, yeah, I mean, but if you don't got access to the best defensive line and all the top-notch cover corners, maybe you can't be what you want to be. What do you need to be in order to survive? And he's one of those guys. I love this. This isn't a direct quote from Dave Arena, but I had to I had to jot this down on my phone because, and by the way, normally I'd write down everybody that sees me out and I talk about my yellow legal pad. My yellow legal pad with all my Sark offseason research, it's – it got left on the field at AT&T Stadium during oh. media days. Oh. So, Ooh. yeah. Wow. So I gotta, I'm in the process of trying to. If anybody found one, happened to be there, please. I know. You know what? I would love for like some actual like media guy, because media people understand how yeah. notes and stuff are important. Yeah. He found it and then it could actually, you know, decipher some of it and go, I would hey, this dr- is Jeff Houses. I would and drive would to Dallas. Find a way to like hit you up on social media. Like, find hey, man, Cowboys I have your legal guy. pad if you want it over I'm there. Whoever's ahead sure. of the Cowboys media relations, it's worth emailing them. I'm That's what I'm saying, like, because real media them. people, I, I would, I would not throw that away. If I found, I'd be like, oh, dude, he, somebody left this, and I try to find somebody there, would. somebody to yeah. give it to, because I know how important it is yeah. to people. So yeah. it's, uh, it, it tears me. So that's why I didn't have my legal pad to write Ooh. on. And plus, I'm in the process of moving, so all my spare legal pads are packed up, mm. and it's, it's, it's a mess right now. So I jotted this down on my phone, uh, and again, this isn't a direct quote from Dave Aranda, but he said, "This is the philosophy coaches need to have as you adjust to personnel." He said, "Coaches need to realize that every team is different." And it's about the people you have and the players you have as opposed to doing what you want to do. Mm, same it's up, thing. And it's up to coaches to make that adjustment. And, Rod, yep. I'll, I'll listen to Dave Aranda talk about that and mm. listen to some of kind of Steve Sarkeesian's football philosophy over the weekend, some of Jimbo Fisher's football philosophy, even guys. we got some brilliant offensive mind, uh, brilliant coaching minds in this state. Jake Spavadol, Seth Luttrell. Oh, Jeff Grimes uh, is in here now, Patterson, too. Yeah, Sonny yeah. Dykes and – it goes. It really speaks to something you talk about all the time. Coaches, at the end of the day, you've got to be problem solvers, mm-hmm. and that's basically essentially what Dave Aranda is talking about. You have to take kind of what the framework of yes, this is my system, but this is what I've got to work with. So, how in the framework of who I am do I take this personnel and, as he put it, turn it into a player's game on defense? Oh, I like that. It's like yeah, it's like saying my 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 scheme is quarterback friendly. It's like hell yeah, it's quarterback friendly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's like, turn it into a player's game where guys just feel like they can cut loose. And he was talking because he got asked about his. He, he's got one of those defensive schemes. We heard Tom Herman talk about this in relation to Todd Orlando. Uh, that it's it it's look it, it's simple, but it looks complex. Mm-hmm. And he said part of he said the complexity comes in. He says when guys really make it a player's game to where they take ownership of the defense. And as he put it, he said at that he described it like being an artist. And that's when your creativity can flow. Totally Once agree. you understand what you're doing and the game slows down and how you process it, now you can just kind of paint that canvas mm-hmm. however you need to to be successful. Yep. Once you really yeah, – it, yeah. it was a fascinating conversation with Dave Aranda down there. But in relation to the Texas defense, that's kind of what Pete Kwiatkowski has to be, Rod. And it, it's when you look across the league, and I, I thought, again, going back to Dave Aranda, he made a really good point. He said, you know, this – the league, the Big 12, he feels like, and this is part of the reason I think hiring Jeff Grimes, maybe trying to, to mm-hmm. 
it's going to kind of more what Iowa State is doing as more of a kind of 12 personnel wide zone kind of league on offense. Yeah. And trying to get ahead of that. And, you know, but within that, within that thought, everybody's going to do that multiple ways. Yeah. You can. We, we saw Sark's 12 personnel in Alabama. Mm-hmm. That's very different. We know Lincoln Riley can make stuff look look like 12 personnel, yep. and that looks different than what K-State's going to do, mm-hmm. which is different than what Iowa State's going to do, which they're going to run 12 personnel and even 13 personnel yeah. with tight ends, not mm-hmm. H-backs or tailbacks. They're using tight ends. So uh, within that, yes, it's you can. hybrid spread scheme yeah, you talk about. Which, so, so, you can say, so yeah. you can say the Big 12 is becoming more of a wide zone 12 personnel league, but everybody's going to put their own spin on that, mm-hmm. and that's why Pete Kwiatkowski, to me, that's going to be the the success or failure of this Texas defense mm-hmm. is on a weekly basis. Can he push the right buttons in terms of personnel to figure out, all right, maybe against Kansas State, that's a better week to have – Maybe got more more maybe, beef up front. Maybe be more more. Maybe you might have to. Hey, all those those we talk about them being deep and talented on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. Maybe the snap counts for Keandre Coburn, mm-hmm. Alfred Collins, and Vernon Broughton are all about the same. Yeah, in that game, and maybe yeah. that's a lot more Jacoby Jones than maybe Ovia Gofu, Ray Thornton, or Ben Davis. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally agree. But again, when you play an air raid team like Texas Tech. That we know Matt Wells, philosophically, he's kind of been more of a hybrid spread guy, but you bring in Sonny Cumbie, who's definitely an air raid guy. If they line up in 12 personnel, it's going to look way different than what a K-State is going to do. Yeah. So maybe you've just got to be maybe more big nickel or big dime. I'm I'm fascinated to see just week to week how Pete Kwiatkowski does it. Because, Rod, I just – I don't see – the more I look at this Texas defense, the thing that concerns me is – there aren't playmakers that have extensive track records. To me, there aren't enough of those guys. No, your playmakers have holes in the resume. Like Alfred Collins, it, it just—it's a lack of experience. Kendrick Coburn, can he been every down, every snap guy? Deshaun Jameson, can he can he be next level a, a shutdown corner a guy? You don't have to give help to. I don't need to roll coverage or right. give you safety help. Can you go get that guy one on one and not not not. Uh, you don't have to worry about you getting beat over the top. Can you be that guy can, as a super mm-hmm. senior? Can B.J. Foster stay healthy? He's healthy. DeMarvin Overshone coming off of a, a spring where he was out with the shoulder surgery and going into year two at linebacker but learning a new scheme. How does that translate? He should be an all-conference player this year. Yeah, so all, all of your – even your, your proven commodities on defense have question marks. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can – it's not like almost that luxury Chris Ash had where you knew the ace up your sleeve was – you have 46 and you knew – it, kind of the break glass in case of emergency, I can just turn him loose and he can go take over a game. Yeah, well, not only that, you had a Caden Stearns who you were hoping at the time would go back, you know, kind of be able to rekindle some of that freshman magic that he had. You ended up having Chris Brown, who ended up being a really good player for you. Jawan Mitchell ended up Jawan being Mitchell a, a was solid player. Yeah. So, Taquan Graham was a really I versatile player up TQ. front, right? So, yeah, and, and, I, and I agree with everything you said. I think, you, uh, man, I love that uh, football uh, theory, it's like football porn to me. But uh, you need you need to go down there next year, Rod. No, I, w- I would love it. But it, I was reading actually some uh, foot actually some history on Bill Walsh. I was doing some Bill Walsh, Bill Belichick research. Came on this great story. You talk about you know using the uh, the resources you're given to build your their defense or build your game plan or your system or whatever. This the strike shortened season. 
uh, for the NFL. It was at 1987. Mm-hmm. Tell a great story about okay. Monday night football game between the 49ers, Bill Walsh's 49ers, and Bill Parcells' Giants. Yeah. <laughs> and guys. it says Bill Walsh. Yeah, he had a surprise for the Giants in the second half. I think the score was like 24 to like 18 or 24, 17 or something like that in the first half. And the 49ers actually scored 17 points in the second half, 41-21 blowout of Parcells. Now, think about it, These are uh, scabs in there, right? So these mm-hmm. the NFL players are on strike. Yeah. So they got scrubs in there, just jags. But Bill Walsh broke out the wishbone <laughs> on – yeah, yep. Bill. Well, the Forty Nineers ran half. the wishbone. Uh, Mark Stevens, who was a starting quarterback, Bill Walsh had remarked he had ran the veer at Utah, but never ran the wishbone before. But he's the one that directed the Forty Nineers to seventeen points in the second half to cap a forty-one twenty-one blowout when Bill Walsh broke out the wishbone. And the reason was he was like, "Well, my quarterback had experience running option yeah, offense, had to do and." It. We were we didn't have Jerry Rice. I didn't have Joe Montana. I have access to those guys. So yeah. you know what I did have? I had access to Mark Stevens, mm-hmm. and Mark Stevens was really good at running I, option yeah. offense. So that's what we ran, yeah. and that was his adjustment. His adjustment was let's go back to doing what you do really well, Mark Stevens. Yeah, we'll go. So getting back to you know a lot of these great offensive innovations, even getting back to Bill Walsh, and I've talked mm-hmm. about it several times. The Simplified. West Coast offense was not the football guides giving Bill Walsh the uh, you know the West Coast offense on some stone tablets from on high. He had Virgil Carter, a quarterback who was really accurate and really smart but couldn't really stretch the field with his arm. And he said, all right, you're accurate, you're smart. We're going to run offenses that basically are built around the precision passing game and your accuracy. We're going to run high percentage passing game, triangle offense essentially, mm-hmm. and, and we're going to make it easy for you. Boom, Virgil Carter ends up having a great year, leads the NFL, I think in completion percentage that year, West Coast offense is born. Right? It, it's so it's usually even even the zone blitz, right? Bill Onsparger, the defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins at the time, he is trying to make sure that he basically maximizes the talent of the players that he has in his system at the time. It was actually a player. Make sure I get his name right here. Uh, that the 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 guy you're looking at that he wanted to kind of maximize uh, his his ability uh, was a defensive lineman slash linebacker they had at the time. They were basically just trying to figure out a place for him. They came up with the zone the zone blitz. Bob Matheson was his name. Excuse me. Okay. Bob mm-hmm. Matheson. So they came with the zone blitz trying to maximize Bob Matheson's role in defense. He's a hybrid player way back then. My point being, all of those great, great innovations, whether you're talking about the zone blitz, or you're talking about the Tampa 2, trying to you know take advantage of Jack Lambert's size and speed ratio because he can, he can defend the deep middle of the field because he was an advanced linebacker at that time. They were just trying to maximize players' abilities. That's it in a nutshell. And I think for Todd Orlando, you know, famously here in Texas, that's why we all love the lightning package when he first came here, right? In mm-hmm. 2017, Tartalendo literally evolved real time. Speaking of someone who believes in something that Dave Aranda believes in, he decided we copied that blueprint from Iowa State with their inverted Tampa 2. He said, we're going to run with six DBs. Texas had a wealth of an embarrassment of riches, if you will, a wealth of talent in the defensive backfield at the time. They had two linebackers that both ran 4-5 or faster in Gary Johnson and Malik Jefferson. Boom. Then they they've had their unique signature style of defense in the Big Twelve ecosystem. So that's what you're looking for from Pete Kwiatkowski. You want him to find his unique signature style mm-hmm. of defense in this ecosystem. Now it's different than it was when Todd Orlando, you know, 
uh, innovated the lightning package in 2017. It's different. You talk about the hybrid spread schemes. You have teams that can control the game or control the game because they can control the ball because everybody's got a good running game in the Big 12 now. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a good running game. Mm-hmm. Except so, Kansas. No, except for Kansas. You're right. Good point. That, yeah. Yeah. Nine out of ten ain't bad. I don't really consider them. <laughs> so I agree with yeah. you. I, I want to see what he's going to do with the raw materials. My concern is that, and when I did the research recently, I started looking at how do you solve the problem of not having really good linebackers? Like what – what is your, your football theory uh, mentality or the remedy for, oh, well, you know what, we only got one good linebacker, that's tomorrow if you're an overshone. So in the NFL, when teams are dealing with that, I went to Belichick because Belichick is the one I try to follow for all mm-hmm. these types mm-hmm. of trends. Belichick actually in 2020, he dealt with that because a lot of his linebackers, they were either going in free agency, Kyle Van Noy, or, or Dante Hightower opted out. It's just top three linebackers opted out. So Bill Belichick actually played 46% six-plus DBs in 2020. 20, basically 30% dime and almost 18% quarters. Like, that's seven DBs or more. Mm-hmm. Why? He put more DBs out there because he didn't have the linebackers that could run and that could really be physical uh, in the at the NFL level. So he went more DBs. I went and looked at the Browns. Joe Woods is the new Browns defensive coordinator. He used to be the defensive coordinator for uh, the Broncos, actually, and then was the passing game coordinator and secondary coach for the 49ers in 2019. He says that he wants to run a dime package as his base personnel. Why? Because the Browns, when Kevin Stefanski first came in, they defunded the linebacker position and said, the linebacker position is not a premium position on defense anymore. The premium positions are cornerback, pass rusher. They probably even put safety ahead of that. You go look at the Browns right now and go look at their secondary. Go look at every stock pond. Mm-hmm. They got Troy Hill, Greg Newsom. They just got from uh, Northwestern. They drafted Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams. That's just the cornerbacks. Yeah. John Johnson III at safety, Ronnie Hors- uh, Harrison Jr., Grant Delpit at safety. Mm-hmm. They're stockpiling DBs. The, the NFL is, is deciding to go, you know, it's really hard to find linebackers number one. All right, because they got to be these these Christ these cross hybrid spread babies. So it's not a premium position number two. So let's just focus on finding premium positions. And you know what? We'll figure out linebacker. We'll just figure it out later. That's a lot of teams are doing. And they said they can figure it out because they're only going to put one or maybe two of them on the field. They're not going to put a lot of linebackers on the field anymore. You can't find them. They're hard to find, and it's hard to find linebackers who are spread babies who can work well and cover in space yeah. these days. If you exactly. if, if you do kind of what the cow the Cowboys tried to do it with. Leighton Vanderesh fits that mold. They did. A healthy Jalen Smith they tried it. fits that mold. And it blew up in their face. Yeah. It's too hard. It's too hard. Yeah. It's hard. You're, you're asking those guys to be perfect. Yeah. And, and now, then, and as a Cowboys fan, it's just like, well, I understand now linebackers at me, and you got yeah. a high first round pick, and now you have to go draft. Yeah, the Browns Parsons. brought in Tony Fields. Now because <laughs> and they brought in that safety, that, that, that Notre Dame hybrid safety, Coromoa, 6'1, 215. That's where that's where safety's going now. It's two fifteen, two twenty. Because here's my thing with the Cowboys: if you would if you just addressed, you could have gone a number of different positions. Like if they had gone offensive line in the first round, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have minded that because Connor Williams is in a contract year. Like you're you know how's Tyron, Tyron Smith. Smith has more games behind him than he's got yeah. in front of him. I so I wouldn't mind if they would address offensive line. But now like you look at how the draft and the draft unfolds different ways. But like. Getting Jabril Cox when they get Jabril Cox in the fourth round, fifth round. That was the best that's value pick. Damn good value that was for a great line. value. That's pick. where you're gonna find your linebackers. It's gonna be yep. those later round picks. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that guy can that guy, I think he's gonna be in a big starter and, for And him where too. do the Cowboys refuse to they refuse to invest in safety? They don't they, they won't invest in safety. They wanna they want projects at safety. They believe they get more value by basically taking a cornerback who can cover and rebuilding his skill set to be a safety. They haven't really had any successful projects in that regard, so I don't know why they keep trying to do it, yeah. but that's what they believe. Meanwhile, I think that's the, 
Yeah, I think that's a flawed, that's flawed logic. Because right opinion. now, I mean, look where they spent their, you know, draft capital last few years with guys like Van Der Esch or Micah Parsons or the money and the yeah. extension to Jalen Smith. Like, those are all linebackers that you were giving up premium draft slots for exactly. and premium money for. Now, Parsons could be that guy because he dropped down from where he was at. But still, it's not a good allocation. Not necessarily the blueprint that's been proven to win Super Bowls. And yeah. in that vein, bringing it back to Texas, when you look at the look at the inside linebacker specifically, like let's just eliminate the edge positions. Okay. Inside linebacker specifically, other than Demarvin Overshone, would anybody else among that inside linebacker group be considered one of your top eleven on defense? No, exactly. There's no way. No way. It, it, That's my it, concern it, too. Like, and I'm not trying to disparage Delia Dayaway or Luke Brockermeyer. Like, honestly, like for for depth chart purposes. That middle linebacker position, that dimebacker, Pequitkowski's labeled it in the past, mm-hmm. that's probably the most wide-open position battle on this roster because I can I can name you three or four guys and make a really good case for them being number one on the depth chart. Delia Dayaway, who, mm-hmm. who that shows you where that position is, where Delia Dayaway was in the portal throughout the spring, comes back for the summer, and mm-hmm. he's in a position to maybe go win that job. Yeah, Delia Dayaway, Devin Richardson – Luke Brockermeyer is a former walk-on. Uh, maybe Jaden Hullaby gets yeah, in that mix. Jalen, maybe Jalen Ford's in that mix. Yeah, I, I just know. named you five, six guys right there. And we don't know if any of them are actually going to be able to separate. We don't know. But my, I don't want to. My thing is, I wouldn't want to force, you know, to try to put at a linebacker on the field. Try to force right. two linebackers out there. Mm-hmm. If you only have one linebacker you trust, or maybe it's Ray Thornton. And overshone are the two linebackers you trust. Mm-hmm. I'd go with the more proven commodities. I try to get more D linemen on the field. I try to get more DBs on the field. Looking at the DBs, I mean, you've had like I don't know six, seven DBs that have started games for you. Here's here's. Can I give you my ideal go scenario, ahead. Ron? Yeah. And, and look, there are going to be times where you're going to need that dimebacker, that middle linebacker, to be on the field. Like oh yeah. Okay. K State, Iowa State. There's going to be some games where you need that of guy. just situational down and distance. But if we're talking yeah. about best eleven, my ideal scenario is that middle linebacker competition is what it is. But the battle at nickel with Chris Adamore and Anthony Cook mm-hmm. is such a high level competition. Like I think uh, to me, that's uh, quarterback is its own animal. That to me is the best individual position battle in camp for a number one spot on the depth chart is at nickel. Okay. And to me, if I'm Pete Kwiatkowski, I look at that nickel battle, and if you get through camp, or at least to the point where you're done with camp and you start really prepping for the Raging Cajuns coming into town, that nickel battle is at such a high level that you say, you know what, I just need to go into the season and figure out how do I get Chris Adamora and Anthony Cook on the field at the same time because they're two of your best 11. You hope that's the case. And and Chris Adamora ends up being – he and DeMarvin Overshone are effectively your inside linebackers. Or at safety, I think a more of it, to, to me it's kind of more of a long shot. But if the schooler thing really works out, then you've got three safeties that you really like. Okay, now's mm-hmm. the time where you sell B.J. Foster on, look, I know you're a safety. I know you're one of the top safety recruits in the country. You see yourself playing in the league as a safety. But we want to feature you in this defense and a position we need to feature you at is down inside the box. Yeah. Um, honestly, he did that at Washington. Now, it was matchup-based, right? It was yeah. based on who he played, mm-hmm. and oftentimes it was against Washington State and yeah, Mike Leach yeah. against that air raid offense. But you would see him, and <laughs> I think it's that go watch the 2018 matchup. Maybe that's the one 
where, I mean, they played, they basically put uh, six DBs on the field as their base at that time. Mm-hmm. And they do have, like, basically their Nick, I think it's Molden. Elijah it, Molden. Elijah Molden yeah. ends up playing at linebacker depth, essentially, for mm-hmm. him. And that's what you want to do. If you, listen, if, you believe that your because I think defensive line is going to be your biggest. It's going to be a first world problem, but that's going to be to me the number one thing you have to find out first. Like, what's your defensive line depth going to be, and what's the rotation going to be like with mm-hmm. that group? Because like to me, where's the cutoff? Yeah, like right. You got you. I think you probably got six of those guys. Mm-hmm. I think you start talking about Alfred Collins. You're still talking about Keandre Coburn, Tavondre Sweat, Moral Ojimo, mm-hmm. Jacoby Jones. I ain't even talked about Vernon Broughton. I'm mm-hmm. missing somebody. That's I'm missing. six right there. Myron Warren, you want to throw him in there? I mean, I, I, you know. Maybe Myron Warren's a guy now. I don't know. That's the saying. Keandre Coburn was at Big 12 Media Day saying Myron Warren reminded him of Aaron Donald. <laughs> to your point, though, right? So, like, uh, I nice to see the field if he's Aaron Donald. But he was talking about uh, Byron Murphy. The, oh, the Byron Murphy. Okay, sorry. But about no, that, yeah. but point taken. Like, where where is the cutoff on? Are you four deep? Are you five deep? Are you six deep? Like that. Yeah. Based on that, now mm-hmm. you can figure out. Okay, if I can be more. I know he's got traditionally two two down linemen. Two two down linemen. Yeah. But if he figures out, you know what, Rod, similar to to your defense. I mean, hey, Bull Reese just figured. You know what. Casey Hampton and Cedric Woodard and Sean Rogers are so good. I'm just get all three of them on the field at the same time. Well, and that's the it main works. thing. If yeah. you can get these guys, like say if Broughton's the type of guy in those body types, like Alfred Collins may be one that if needed in the matchup can not only play at tackle, but you sort of extend them out. And mm-hmm. if you do that, manufacture that depth, that actually gives you more numbers than say the amount of players that are out there. So you just have more combinations to be multiple that way. The only guys I see on the D-line that I, I would feel comfortable with playing the DN, this is kind of position, right? This is why I the conundrum. I think this is why you got to figure out what's the depth there and what is the cutoff. Because I would only feel comfortable with like Jacoby Jones and Ojimo playing the DN mm-hmm. spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of those guys I think are in the Big Twelve in a right. pace and space league. I know it's going more toward hybrid spreads, and they're going to be able to control the game with all these great running attacks. But still, in the end, you got to have somebody that can set the edge on, a, and it's still a perimeter based league. That's still so, big though, having two of those. Yeah, so, add the multiplying factor because that would leave you your four main guys that are always at tackle, but then they can have any combo of end or a true end or a true end with one of them on the inside. So I think if the looks can be confusing. I think if I'm looking at, I'm going three. I'm going basically three of these D tackles or any variation of those D tackles we're talking about. Make sure you have Jacoby Jones and Ojimo uh, at a point where you, they can play in or they at least have the ability to play mm-hmm. in for you. And then maybe Ray Thornton or, I don't know, a Gofu or ben Davis. ben Davis, Devin Richardson, I don't know, whoever they are at that. I think Ray Thornton probably is the top guy right now for that offensive, that outside linebacker hybrid a role there. Mm-hmm. To me, I'd go probably three D tackles and I'd probably go one of those hybrid outside linebackers for me. And it yeah. makes you malleable because you can always go to a three-man front, four-man front. Tell me if you want to, you can probably go two-man front there and, and you can stand get fake up fronts, and yeah. then you can be able to move your guys into spot move after your guys motion and things like that. that I think you got to get more of those D linemen on the field, man. The, the big thing I wonder then conceptually, how much can those defensive linemen handle? Exactly, like snap wise. And, and this is another thing going back to to coaching school and and listening to these coaches talk. We talked about this with Manny Diaz, Rod, and I think. Ten years later, it, it's even more. I can't believe, gosh, I can't believe that Manny Diaz season was ten years ago, twenty eleven. Oh, um, wow, yeah. But teaching the game now, 
con- teaching the game conceptually, it is more important than ever because this game is not played in a phone booth anymore. No, you're right about that. Guys need to understand how they're trying to attack you, and what so, they're trying to and do. And Sark's even talked about, like, at the receiver position, which I love compared to the we did a, se- a, a season's worth of podcast talking about our frustration with the rigidity within the receiver roles in the Tom Herman offense. Sark's talked about the receiver position. Like, they don't t- – yes, on the depth chart, you're labeled X, Z, or H, but everybody learns the route tree. Everybody mm-hmm. learns this passing game yep. conceptually. So that way, if – if Troy O'Meara, your X receiver, is hurt, you don't just put your backup X receiver in and now well, now I'm losing ground because one of my better weapons, my number three receiver, isn't on the field. Because he can't, he doesn't know how to play the receiver, X. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah. You can always make sure you've got your best group on the field at a given time. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, conceptually what can these defensive linemen handle. I think that's going to I think they can handle a lot. I would think so. Man. I think they can handle a lot. I mean, if you're talking about Alfred Collins, who is, I mean, this guy's a prodigy. Physically, he's a freak. He's a, he's a physical freak, but he also is kind of a prodigy in terms of his football IQ and everything. We kind of saw some of that last year. It flashed. Exactly for what Jeff is talking about, right, mastering the game. But Ooh, then, you know what? I'm sorry to cut no, you off, Rod. The one Alfred Collins play, and, and again, I talk about this a lot, but me and you doing the virtual watch party for the Baylor game last year is one of those fun experiences I've mm-hmm. had watching the game. Do you remember how just bat s crazy I went when Alfred Collins? It was a, uh, it was a third down play, and he I, th- I don't remember if he got double teamed. That was but a batted pass. Yeah, yeah, he starts his rush, realizes I'm not gonna get there, pulls back and just gets his hands up in the passing lane, knocks the ball down. Yep, mm-hmm. that's a play. True freshman defensive lineman, most of them don't have don't make the mental capacity. And I don't say that in a demeaning way, but no. it doesn't occur to them to make it. Like I'm not gonna get home. How can I best affect this play? I'm going to pull back and find the quarterback and then try to bat, try to knock a ball. Yeah. It's a defensive version of having like a, a running quarterback. The defense beats you on a play, but you can run and make it a gain. In this situation, Alfred Collins is beaten, isn't able to do what he wants to, but can identify that within the play. And what's mm-hmm. normally a losing play, unless identified, becomes a winning play because you're able to go yeah. and then use a secondary skill set after the initial play. Sorry, yep. Robert. That, that's agree. the kind no, of football right. IQ you're talking about. No, and I agree 100%. And you're not – and that's not going to happen if he's not 6'5", either, by the way. Yeah. True. Right? That helps, too, to get combining all of those different things. But I just think you're so talented there. You got, I mean, I think Vernon Broughton, we don't even know what he's going to bring to the table just yet because we haven't seen enough. But Kendrick Coburn, Jacoby Jones, Moro Ojemo, Tavondre Sweat, you should be able to build around that group. And like I said, figure out which ones can play DN for you. Figure out which ones actually can penetrate and pass rush and play DN for you. And then figure out, like you said, where the cutoff is, do, am I six deep on the D-line? Am I seven deep on the D-line? And then you got to figure out who your best 11 are. And if mm-hmm. I was Kwiatkowski, I'm building my game plan around my best 11. And I, if I'm looking at it right now, I think your best 11 are going to come from mostly D-linemen and DBs. I think when you're looking at linebackers, you may get Ray Thornton and Overshawn, and that's it, as your two top linebackers, How? if I'm looking at it. I know David Bender may I mean, uh, Dale. Oh, I, for, I forgot to mention David Bender. David Bender. You know I'm saying, like, I know all those guys, but I'm look. I'm trying to think of situations where those guys can be exploited, and I can easily, in my mind, come up with a bunch of them. If you're going to be the starting middle linebacker at Texas, and you're going to be on the field for more than fifty percent of the snaps, you will be. Um, you better go win that job and leave everybody else in the dust. 
This is true. You need you need to make you need to make Pete Kwiatkowski don't leave any doubt in his mind or don't leave any doubt in Jeff Choate's mind. Like, yeah, this guy's one of our best eleven. Yeah, and I don't know if they have that right now. And maybe they'll get in training camp and that'll be awesome. Maybe but Dave, maybe David Bender just busts ass. And yes, has a but great you should camp. plan on the worst or plan yeah. for the worst, and that's what coaches do. Like, what if Overshawn's the only damn linebacker we got, Coach? What's your plan? Mm-hmm. What's your plan, Coach? If all these linebackers turn out to just be Jags. Mm-hmm. And you feel bad about putting them on the field because you know that they are going to be a weakness. What do you do? What's your plan? Give it to me. And to me, the plan would be, well, more DBs. More you DBs, know, more D-linemen. Period. Going back to that, though, something I, I talked about a minute ago with kind of your safeties and nickels and those guys being kind of malleable a little bit. The schooler thing is interesting because he we, likes had, we had heard about Tyler Owens kind of working as that box safety type guy, mm-hmm. playing some nickel. But in the spring game and some of the cut-ups that we saw from spring ball, they worked Schooler in that role yeah. quite a bit. They ran 12 personnel, and they put Schooler down linebacker depth. When they ran 11, he was up high. They basically kind of played like almost a three-safety uh, package with yeah. him, Adam Mora, and Jaron Thompson. Yeah. So, I, you know, between if – you, if you include the safeties at Nichols, like if they're their own position group, mm-hmm. Adam Mora Cook, Schooler, Thompson, Foster, man. If you can, if you can figure out kind of how to unlock Tyler Owens, like if you can start making progress there, that'd be amazing. That's kind of one of those X factors, right, Rod? Like yeah. if you're talking about X factor guys, like Ty- Tyler Owens is a guy. With all due respect to him, and he's a phenomenal athlete. I'm not counting on Tyler Owens being much of a factor right now. No. Why, why, those, what re, why would I? He's one of those guys when you look at the physical dimensions and all the measurables, you go, how the hell is he not a factor? <laughs> yeah, how yeah. the hell is he not a factor in the safety competition when we're not even sure who the starters are going to be, and he's not a factor? And, and Schooler comes in, and immediately they like Schooler more? Oh, yeah, he's a better player. If I'm, if I'm so. PK and Blake Gideon and Terry Joseph, I've got to figure out, okay, yep. let's find one thing this guy can do really well, whether it's a sub package or an alignment. Damn, he, dudes that are 6'3", 200 pounds, that, that run, run 10, sub 10'4". Yeah. They don't grow on <laughs> trees, man. I'm like, how is he not working out I've here? Gotta, I've got to find out. Just Like I'm I said, maybe it's just a third down sub package, and there's just one thing he does really well, but damn it, figure it out. Just, yeah. And it seems like he's willing to be experimented with. Like He's willing to be moved. He had that tweet out there about uh, him moving down the linebacker depth. So I'm with you. I don't know how... They have not – well, I know how because Texas has failed at developing talent, but I'm just – it's one of those things that's more and more frustrating. But I'm with you. I, I, I This thing about the secondary, right, you talked about how the nickels and the safeties are grouped together. To me, Anthony Cook is different than that group, and I'm looking at skill sets. I'm looking at skill sets of the, of the safeties and the, the nickels. You look at Jaron Thompson, B.J. Foster, Schooler, um, Owens. Tyler Owens, I guess you could throw in there too – Adam Mora, to me, those guys have bodies where they seem more like safeties to me. Yeah. Even their skill sets fit safety mm-hmm. to me. Anthony Cook's a corner. Mm-hmm. Not just a corner, a technical corner, meaning he's all about, he's a technician by trade. You want guys inside. What I would say, you want inside, you want instincts inside. Instincts. Because the game comes so fast, happens so fast, and you got to not only be a blitzer, but you got to be sometimes a linebacker. Sometimes you got to be a cover corner and cover the best guy in the slot with a two-way go. Sometimes you're playing zone. You got you have such a versatile responsibility there. Oftentimes the technical corners, the technician, doesn't work out well there because he's, he's, he's so focused on the technique. Mm-hmm. Technique always becomes trash in the slot. 
It's about mm-hmm. survival. Yeah. Because and the guy with the two way. Yeah, your 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 technique. Honestly, I'm telling you, it goes to trash. You don't have enough time, really, to be able to to replicate the technique. Mm-hmm. And the game happens so fast. You need a guy who's just instinctual. Quandre Dix. A Quandre Dix yeah. got great instincts, right? Earl Thomas. Uh, great instincts, right? Mm-hmm. You need those kind of guys. And I, I I love Anthony. I think he's a good player, and I think he actually can play the slot. But I don't know if he can play the slide the way they want him to. I think he plays the slide like, oh, no, you're a cover, you're, you're a slot corner. You're just covering that slot wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Not covering the slot wide receiver. Oh, I need you to blitz sometimes. Oh, I need you to fly back in coverage. Oh, sometimes I need you to cover in the running back side of the backfield. Sometimes I'm going to need you. You know, those are a lot of different things. Kwiatkowski and Jimmy Lake, like, they're, they're nickel guys. Like, Versatile. Like Buda Baker. Yeah. They want to be able to do <laughs> you know, yeah. anything yeah. out there. Yeah, and I, Cook's not that guy. No. So I think matchup-based week to week. You may have a, a week-to-week matchup where you go, no, 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 we need Cook. We need somebody who can straight up just cover the slot. And he, I think Cook covers better than Adam Moore, in my opinion. Um, but I think yeah. Adam Moore might be a better all-around football player. Big difference. Yeah, and, and thinking about, like, that's what gives me hope that Pete Kwiatkowski can unlock some of these guys or at least make roles for some of the, even like some of the younger guys, like a, like a J.D. Coffey, uh, a guy like that as a true freshman might be able to give you something mm-hmm. because – or, you know, a Jaden Hullaby who was – you know, uh, a high school quarterback that's making this transition to defense. Like they had guys like like Buda Baker, Shaq Thompson that had mm-hmm. these these multiple hybrid skill mm-hmm. sets, and they they figured out a way to to make yeah. it work and, yeah. and got the most out of those type guys. He likes those guys. He prefers those yeah. hybrid flex position guys. Yeah. But, while we're still on the defense, I pulled the numbers from uh, the D line last year just because you had Osai and Graham be the ones that left. But the mm-hmm. amount of snaps that are left. And, you know, we were wondering because you actually end up having it's six of your next eight most snaps on the entire defense come back being that Ojimo averaged 41.4 snaps per game, Coburn 43.4 snaps per game, Sweat 34.6, Jones 36.9, Collins 31.8. So those are five guys that averaged over 31, almost 32 snaps per game, which for a D lineman is a good amount. And even guys like – Bush had, if you count him on the edge as a rusher, he's 18.9, and then Broughton inside was 15.7, so they at least have a decent amount of experience. Now, Broughton only played in three games, but it almost, you know, already is something where rarely can you have that amount of or the quantity of players with that much experience coming back, even though you don't necessarily have your war daddy or whatever. So maybe they'd be used to this type of system that Kwiatkowski is able to use their tools individually. Kind of, kind of transition into offense. Like this is why the spring game can be a mind f for observers. Like think about how good Jacoby Jones and Moro Ojimo were in the spring game. Unbelievable. <laughs> Doesn't that immediately make you concerned about offensive line depth? It could. It should. And and, and the progress because yeah. that group that was I've, the problem in twenty ten or two thousand ten after that spring game. I've said it before. I'll say it again, man. That group takes the longest to come together. Yeah. Especially when you've got a first year line coach and a new offensive scheme. That group's gonna take that group's gonna need the most time to figure out who they are. Yeah, it's it's strange, right? When we in the in the off season and, you know, spring when one position group or one player is outstanding, does a great job. It's almost like is the glass half full or mm-hmm. is the glass half empty? Because Lohan fans are like, oh man, it's 
Troy Mary, take Troy Mary, right? Troy Mary last year, people are like, he's taking starting reps in the offseason. Man, he's already starting. This young man is so ahead of the game as a freshman. He ends up getting hurt, very unfortunate. And nobody thought to themselves, maybe that means our wide receivers suck. Yes. Is this a true freshman Didn't walks in there? The yeah, and he walks in there and then becomes he's the, best in the, room. the guy, he's the best in the room as a true freshman. Oh, maybe the wide receiver room sucks. And turns out, wide receiver room wasn't great last year. Yeah. So I do wonder if, yeah, same thing with the offensive line. Or Ultra Bowl, he was a game wrecker. Yeah, he was a game wrecker. Maybe our offensive line just gets wrecked a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know, let, I, I want to go ahead and, and, and go over some of this. Matt, you were going over some of the numbers earlier, and, and this goes back to what we are talking about, Rod, kind of who that struggle – what is the, the, the quote again about football? Football yeah. is a constant – Oh, constant. life and football are constant struggles between what you want to be but what you need to be in order to survive. So when you look at the offensive line Kyle Flood had at Alabama, which wouldn't everybody like to have Alabama's offensive line? Like, did you see, like, Evan yeah. Neal doing splits on boxes at, like, 6'7", 340? Like, just, <laughs> they're all freaks. Freaking insane. They're all freaks, man. It's a freak show. Um, Literally freaking insane. No, they're insane. It's yeah. ridiculous. Um. But, you know, Alabama, Matt, Matt's got the numbers. These pro, fo- pro fo- I'll get to them in a sec, Matt, but pro football yeah. focus numbers? Okay. So, basically, at Alabama, when you've got that massive offensive line, you can pretty much do any kind of run game. Exactly. You want. <laughs> but Bama, they were predominantly a, a gap-oriented run team, hmm. a lot of your gap schemes. Uh, Texas, as we know, under Tom Herman, predominantly zone. an inside zone team. Now, mm-hmm. <sighs> One of my many frustrations with the offense, and and it's funny, like we talked about it going into the K State game about Jake Majors needing to play center that week because Cosme opted out, Kerr Stutter was hurt, and you had to go with Majors at center. And I remember saying, I said it on my show, I wrote about it on the site, I said mm-hmm. it here, I said, yo, if Jake Majors goes into this K State game and plays well, I'm gonna be really pissed off because had you done that at the beginning of the year, by the time you got to the middle of conference play. You could have been a really good zone running team with that guy as your center. Yep. What happened? The last two games of Jake Majors as your center. Oh, we're suddenly a really good wide zone running team all of a sudden because we've got a center who can reach block. Yep. Yeah. And get to the second level yep. and do all the things a center needs to do in that scheme. See Mike Shanahan's run game with the Denver Broncos. It's just that's uh, like pouring drain cleaner into your eyes. <laughs> but, but Matt's Don't got the number, so this is this is kind of. I'll tell you, I'll preface it by saying this, Rod, because Matt, Matt will go over the numbers, and, again, he and I were talking about this before you got in here. My hope for Sark's run game by the end of the year, like the ceiling of it, mm-hmm. that it's a little bit better version of what the Brian Harson run game was in 2011. And, and, and the further removed we get from that season, I still cannot believe that season was 10 years ago. Like what Brian Harson did to get the most out of that offense is – Pretty damn remarkable. Yeah. Because um, that wasn't a great offensive line. Mm-mm. Once the Garrett Gilbert experiment blew up, you had no experience at quarterback. <laughs> uh, your skill talent on the outside was completely up in the air. Basically, your offense was, we're going to run this wild package with Fozzie Whitaker and these two young running backs, Malcolm Brown and Joe Bergeron. We're just going to lean on them and kind of be a pin and pull, diverse run game and help out the offensive line and see how far it takes you. And they got until Fozzie shredded his hurt. on that damn Missouri, Missouri turf. Yeah. It got him pretty damn far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of my hope for Sark is that you're not 
we're an inside zone team, we're an outside zone team. We're based week to week based on the, the matchup or your personnel. You're kind of whatever you need to be that week. You can be whatever you need to be Agreed. that week. So, yeah. Matt, you, you got the numbers, though, to show just how diverse it was between what Bama was doing last year with their gap schemes and Texas being more of a predominant zone team. Yeah, so when you look at the numbers, Texas last season ended up as a team rushing the ball. Zone scheme, 246 plays. It was gap scheme, 38. So you're talking a huge ratio there. Wow. Yes. Hold up, 246 zone running plays to 38 gap scheme plays? You Mm -hmm. are correct. So Bijan was a ratio of 74 to 12. Keontae was a ratio of 49 to 4. And Roshan was 75 to 5. The thing that makes it a higher 16 of those gaps can come from Ellinger. And I bet that's just on short yardage and knowing where you're going straight ahead. Wow. So when you look at that, I mean, not only does that simplify the process for your opponent, because it's just one less thing for the defense to identify pre snap. Oh, yeah. But then when you look at it the other way, like a guy just simply look at Najee Harris's rushes last season 128 gap scheme, 123 zone scheme. A little bit more of a gap scheme overall. But enough to where every single play, there's a chance that the answer is different. You know, you may end up having a look that is hidden within the other look. So you can easily not simplify the process for your opponent. It's a difference between a pitcher having two pitches and three pitches. Exactly. It's a big difference between when I'm at the plate trying to figure out what you're throwing to me. Yeah, two pitches. Makes a 50% chance I'm right. Three, hey, it's a and chance I get it, better chance I get it wrong. And well, predominant, what are the predominant, you know, zone scheme runs? They're pretty obvious. There's only a yeah. handful of them. So you're almost giving them the answers to the test so for what was every Bama? running play. Bama, as uh, Najee mm-hmm. Harris ended up being 128 to 123, and as a team it was 219 to 198 in wow. favor of zone. But you're about a 50-50 yeah. split whenever you go, you go mm-hmm. and – especially if you were to, say, take out the quarterbacks from each, it makes it even more polarizing to where you're a lot closer to that 52-48 and you don't know what's coming. And let's go back. And Now let's go back, right? So combine that with, you know, I complain about the rigidity of the roles. You have that great story after the Rice game where Tom Herman was asked about playing Devin DuVernay and Jake Smith right on the field at the same time. And well, why do we need to? <laughs> what do I need to? I don't, I don't uh, know, Tom. I don't know. Make it hard on defenses to defend you? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, but going back to that, that makes it easier on the defense, right? I know what Devin DuVernay is going to be all the time. You're not going to change his role. You're never going to move him outside. And when you bring outside. Jake Smith into the game, I know Devin DuVernay is not going to be on the field. Exactly. And I know when you do jet sweep motion, you never hand it off. Not one time. Mm-hmm. Not one time. So I'm just, I'm ooh, just, ooh. No, think about it. As a defender, I'm just trying to – you go, go over in my head pre-snap. What do I have to worry about? What's my biggest concerns? If I'm trying to key your best player, which was Devin Duvin at the time, I know, okay, number one, he only is in the slot, so that makes life easier on me. I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about doubling him on the outside or a different side of the field. Also, I know if you move him in motion – you're not going to hand, hand the football off because you never hand off jet sweeps. That helps me as well because that helps out the uh, the opposite defensive end in terms of contain and keeping contained there. So all these things help us slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. And then you go into the gap zone scheme or at least the differential between the gap schemes and the zone schemes. And I know, well, basically you're going to run zone every mm-hmm. damn time. Mm-hmm. I don't even have to defend gap schemes anymore. Like, mm-hmm. 
I, why would I defend gap schemes? Every now and then you might run one, but for the most part, you're going to run zones. You don't zones. have to allocate film time all week. Yes. Now it you makes have, life so much now easier. Now you have twice the amount of time to go and <laughs> yep. really zoom I, in and get into the yeah. meticulous Teaching the technique of your players. Like, of oh, no, no, don't worry about the gap, uh, the gap schemes, guys. We're only going to we only to worry about helps your the technique to defend the zone. Yeah. By twice the amount. Yeah. And then the players, the margin of error that comes inside a player's brain. It's and crazy, then add man. another one. So while we're on that vein of simplifying the process, here's another one that I pulled. Now, these are totally different. This is passing game stuff. Okay. But the percent of play action to the percent of non-play action. Oh, yeah, that's big. And then you go look at, well, what did they do at Alabama? What was Sark last year with 40, Matt Jones? Was it 45%? Uh, 53%. Okay. <laughs> 53. 53.3 non-play action, 46.7 play action. There you and go. Yeah, that's out of 200 dropbacks were yep. play action, 228 were non-play action. Now <laughs> flip over to Texas, though. Those numbers, non-play action, 276, play action, 105. It's 72.4% to 27.6%. To where if you look at that, just basically wow. three out Sam of four. Sam Ellinger is your quarterback. You're not utilizing anything wow. at the mesh point in the past. Yes, you look at that overall, and wow. the production is immensely different. But when you just look at those opportunities, basically you're almost at a three out of four split, which means I'm, I'd venture to guess – until you're forced into passing down in like, distance situations, you aren't even oh. using that play action, and then you're using it at the most obvious of times, yeah. so it's least effective in those situations. You aren't going off-schedule play action plays if you're running that yeah. few yeah. play action exactly. plays. You're not going and, play action on first and ten. No, you, and which you, <laughs> is when it's <laughs> most, most valuable. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not whenever you know it's third and 12 and you're going to run yeah. play. Now, it does work. We've seen that in the It in, works. It, it works even it when works, you know it's coming. It, no matter time. Yes. But the idea that you're simplifying the process for the your opponent wow. and not helping your guys in, in theory, putting in them in advantageous situations. This is all pre-snap stuff before we talk about getting into the plays and scheming a guy open. You yep. know, there's this level. And oddly, even Sam's running numbers were affected. Now, it's a small sample, only at 33 rushes in these situations on clear passes. But on non-play action attempts, he averaged 3.2 yards a rush, 28 rushes for 98 yards. On play action, actually, he averaged 6.2 attempts. He only ran it five times. Wow, I wouldn't have <laughs> a freaking thought that. Wow. Unbelievable. So, like, you're talking – it's so obvious when you look at some of the well, numbers. Dude, when you compare it to the, an ideal, well-coached offense the way that Alabama but, is because that's what our standard should be. And, and and those numbers are fantastic. And thank you, Matt, for breaking that down. But the truth is we now know uh, because of oh, analytics over the last five years at every level of football, play-action pass is Works a more effective ever. pass. Yes. And, it, and we know now play-action pass is effective even when your running game sucks. Yes. We when saw the, the Cowboys quarter, do it on the last third, play of a yeah, game of the exactly. season. In, in. The, the numbers say that it doesn't matter when in the game you run it or even if your running game has been terrible the whole time, the defenders still fall for it. It's like cleavage. Mm-hmm. All right? They're like Daisy Dukes. A 100%. man will look at a woman's nice cleavage. No matter when that cleavage comes, a man will take a peek. And that's all play action passes. It, it, all you need is a peek. All I need is that, that linebacker to peek in that backfield. All I need is to take one false step in that backfield, and we got what we need. And the fact that Tom Herman, he just he refused to use cheat codes. So you combine all that, right? No bunch formation, not handing off the jet sweep, no play action pass, less RPOs. Right? We wanted more RPOs from Sam. We didn't get those. You combine all that stuff, the gap zone, uh, man scheme, predictability, all those things, and it makes for a very predictable offense. In an offense. In an offense. And easy to prepare for, by the way. Easy mm-hmm. to defend. In an offense where you had a legitimate run threat at quarterback, and Sam Ellinger was a dual threat in, in, from the standpoint of you could design a run game around his skill set. 
Might not be a dynamic run game like people want, but yeah. he can design a run game around his skill set. Yeah. And with Bijan Robinson, and for you to what percentage is that that you were that you were doing play action? Like twenty percent of the time. Twenty seven percent. Twenty seven percent of the time. Mm-hmm. You're you're basically, in my opinion, you basically turn yourself into a one legged man in an ass kicking contest. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't play your best players too. Get into the Bijan thing. Another thing that that was the stuff that we talked about. <laughs> like you also all last wouldn't week. even play your best player. It's, so. it's, it, it should no. This should really aggravate Texas fans because <laughs> the offensive pro, you got you got A level production on offense with C level planning effort and thought process from your coaching staff. That offense was a failure of imagination mm-hmm. and a lack of common sense. And Matt's numbers point out the lack of common sense there. So it to me that's. If you want to throw out why Sark could end up – because, listen, Texas still had a top-10 offense last year, so it's really hard to think if the offense is going to be statistically better than it was last year. Mm-hmm. Were they, were they, what was the offense last year, 42 points a game, something crazy? 42-7, like I think, is what yeah. it would have been. A lot of better overtimes. A lot of overtimes helped that, right? A lot of overtimes helped yeah, 50, that. 59 against Utah. But I um, will say this. The, the offense will make more sense this year. It will make more sense, mm-hmm. and it will have tons of creativity and imagination – the run, running game, you, you said yourself, Matt, dude, they're only like, I swear, they're only like 10 to 12 real running plays. And the rest of uh-huh. them are just reinvented, redesigned, repackaged play. They're still, it's still the, the wide zone, but, it's, yep. but Lincoln Riley's got his own way of running the outside zone and the inside zone. He repackages it in his own formation with different pre-snap motions and shifts. And Tom Herman's offense, it, it, his running game specifically, always upset me because there was no creativity in this running game. Yes, everybody's running the same plays. We get that. But there was no creativity. You go watch Lincoln Raleigh's running game compared to Tom Herman's running game, and it's like watching the Kama Sutra as opposed to watching somebody with planned missionary sex on a Monday. <laughs> I mean, that's what Tom Herman was. And, you know, I think if you just have more creativity, you just better packaging for these plays, which Sark will have, I think they're gonna have a ton of more success. In addition to Bijan Robinson actually playing. If you guys can't tell, I've I've grown to have a great appreciation for what Brian Harson did in his in his two years. Here. Yeah, you had creativity. I, yeah. I, after going through a, what would that have been fourteen games of Sean Watson? Boy, that'll make you appreciate Brian Harson. Yeah. Denfold and some of the some of the stuff we've seen around here since then. You're right about I think that. You really appreciate Brian Harson, but I love I love the diverse run game, and I like. I like more gap scheme stuff, more pin and pull stuff, because that's about leverage and angles and doing things to help out your offensive line that might not be great. Rod, you, you've talked ball with Mike Shanahan, and Kyle Shanahan's one of your best friends. To be a really good zone running team, that takes a lot of time. It does. To be a really good zone blocking team. Yeah, because the offensive line almost needs to have this unspoken understanding. It's got to be so <laughs> right? it, it really is. is. It's a great like those <laughs> those those Super Bowl teams with the Broncos, you know, oh, with man. Tom, you know with, with the way that offensive line, you know, Mark Schlereth and those yeah. guys. It was to watch go go I'm telling you as a football fan, Amazing. go go watch those Broncos mm-hmm. teams. That offensive line is like some level of synergy it's poetry and cohesiveness that I can't describe. It's yeah. like football porn. Yes, I'm saying I don't know, like because there's no way they're communicating yet. They are. It's mm-hmm. like, like that baby face song, like that whip appeal, yeah. like that unspoken language that they speak. That offensive line had it, and the great ones that run those zone schemes, they do. And yes, the Shanahan's teach it better than anybody else. But yeah, you're right about that. Alex Gibbs is the offensive line. Rest coach. in peace. Yeah.
The late great Alex Gibbs. Yeah, man. man. It, Unfortunately, it, but it takes a long time to be a really good zone blocker. It does. Team. And 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 when are you gonna have all those guys? You know, especially at a college level, there for multiple years to be able to learn to work together, to have that continuity, that that's synchronicity. Why, that's that's why, tough. That's why mm-hmm. for them to be as good as they were with Jake Majors that early just should aggravate the hell out of any Texas fan that watched that football team last year because God. Think about how much better they would have been in the middle of the year, like in the Iowa State game, when they would have really, when they needed to run the football to yeah. bleed that clock and win that game. That's true, man. If that if that would have been start seven or whatever it would have been for Jake Majors, how much more effective would you mm-hmm. have been as a zone running team in that game when you really needed it? Let's be honest, though, it wouldn't have been as effective if Keontae Ingram and I love him, but Rojo would have been running the ball. It's Bijan too. Yeah. It is. It is. And you, you are right. You are 100% right. But it's also com- the combination of having Bijan do that, too. He's special. And I agree. I think Jake Major is special. I, well, I think Jake Major can be an all-conference player. I think he's legit. I like to Jeff's point yeah. about the amount of time it took to identify and put him in that position. Oh when you're Texas, though, most teams, you can maybe afford that when your biggest rivalry game like Ohio State-Michigan's at the end of the year. In Texas, you have to be peaking by game four or five because Texas OU is that weekend. And if you haven't identified your best guys and get them into that position, then the value might not be worth it. The way Bijan was used was yeah, used after wasted. your value was already like, well, yeah, we, season can't really go to the end. So then at that point, you feel like really screwed yourself. If, if Tom Herman was really confident in the team, and I, we'll stop talking about Tom Herman here in just a second, yes. but if he was really that confident about that team, and Herb Hand's ability as the offensive line coach and in you know, Mike Yersich or whatever, I think we know Tom Herman had more of a hand in the offense than mm-hmm. what we were led to believe, and I think a lot of us knew that. Anyway, if he was that confident, he should have just taken the UTEP game and the Texas Tech game with that offensive line and with Jake Major said, no, Derek Kerstetter's best position, which they always said Derek Kerstetter's best position was at guard, guard or tackle. <laughs> Basically, you should have gone with Jake Major's. And figure out between Derek Kerstetter, Denzel Okafor, and Christian Jones, who's going to be your two starters on the right side? And the other one that doesn't is going to be your sixth man. Yeah. It's going to be your swing guy. Do that. And basically they should have said, we don't care what the production looks like. We're going to use UTEP and Texas Tech to make sure when we get to TCU and Oklahoma, we're as good as we can be. I don't disagree with that. I, I was thinking more my plan is similar, but it was you should have had him on a pitch count, and that pitch count should have increased every week. And by the time you got to your Oklahoma, he should have basically been starting half the reps on the offensive line at center. And then you would have had – then you by then you would have Your plan actually it. makes more sense because that protects you in the case of injury. At least Kirsten right? would have repped it there. That's yeah. kind of my thing, like just to yeah. make sure you had contingency plans. And they, they went into it with like, oh, no, this is definitely going to work. Mm-hmm. Kirsten said, it's it. It's going to work. And, it, and it, when it didn't work – I don't say it didn't work. It, when it wasn't the best option, they didn't even have a plan B. Well, and that's sort of the whole fatal flaw of Tom Herman and his entity at Texas was because, well, if you don't have a plan B, if you're only going with your plan A and we're going to run our stuff and be better than anybody. That's what he was. You better be that. Meathead. Because if you aren't, you're going to have no backup plan. And in that situation, you don't necessarily have to depend on your backup plan, but you got to have one. Otherwise, if you're put in a situation and option A ain't working, the 11 personnel don't work, well, what else are you going to go with? And that's when you end up with nothing. Yeah, Bill Walsh is one of their wishbones in the second half, Bill Parcells didn't know it was coming. Oh. I because that was that was his adjustment. Like you know what, Dude. This, this West Coast ain't working with this scab over here. It's, let's run the trip. Let's run the triple option. That it, worked. It's yeah, great it you did. brought that up because it reminded me when you were talking about the wishbone, and then whenever we had Jeff bring up 
Fozzie, when the Fozzie Bear offense came up, I remember the story of Ricky Williams talking. (laughs) When Ricky Williams was talking about the 08 Dolphins whenever he was there, Mm -hmm. and they started out of nowhere. They ran the Wildcat. The Wildcat. But how it was spawned was a new coach with personnel. And it was the guy, David Lee, that was at Arkansas with McFadden and Felix Jones. And he then was hired to be their their quarterback's coach. Mm -hmm. And he shows up in Miami and has Chad Pennington as his quarterback. And he doesn't know what to do. And uh, like he can get by (laughs) against nobodies, but then they had to play Belichick. And like they needed something because they knew that Belichick can beat a Chad Pennington offense no matter what. Everybody could. So that's when they went and unleashed the Wildcat the, what they could on the do NFL because of the yeah. fa- but it was just like the wishbone it situation really that you were talking about in that second and half. they won a division and then you brought up Parcells <laughs> there and it, Parcells was the guy that hired David Lee that was running the personnel of the oh, Dolphins right. at oh, the yeah, time oh yeah because who was the old line coach that ended up being the head coach uh, Tony Sperano there you go Sperano, he was the head yeah. coach. Yep, he was the head right. coach of that team. Right. And yep. so Ricky Williams has talked about this in the offseason and, like, how their own defense was laughing at him because, like, <laughs> we, we could stop this. And, the, and how, nobody could how stop amazed it. their defense was that the Patriots couldn't even stop it. It was the, Ricky Brown? And, and Who was Ricky it? Williams. And Ricky Williams. Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie Brown. Ronnie Brown. Yeah, Ricky, Ricky Brown's Brown. Sorry. the long Ricky cap- Brown's the long home. Yes. Ronnie Brown. But yeah. you had it spot on. And those two guys were able to go, and they, they actually won the division. They won the division. No, they won the division. And that's how crazy it was because just one thing when a new coach has personnel and isn't able to adapt, you can be in a lot of trouble. When you land in a spot and are hand, hand, basically dealt this hand, what can you do? And good coaches are find ways to revert to being successful. That's amazing. You're damn right. Yep. It's like full circle. Yeah. <laughs> it 100%. really is. But that, that. that goes back, guys, to why Sark was hired. And we can look at the production on offense all we want. Similar to what we talked about with Pete Kwiatkowski and trying to make maximize your personnel. In those tight games. And I thought, you know, going back to Big 12 media days, I thought Matt Wells made a really interesting point. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to go over the numbers and really see because I think he's right. The Big 12 now has become about what are you going to do to put yourself in a position to, I guess, to be best equipped to win close games. Because there's going to be a lot of close games in this league. I can believe that with the way the ball control offense is now because they're all going to have running games. But just, the Big 12 has now changed. Now the Big 12 has some of the best running games in the country and, I know it sounds crazy, some of the best defenses in the country. Yeah. You go look at it, Texas. I mean, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU. John Haycock, what they do at Iowa State. Yep, West Virginia is supposed to be one of the better defenses. So, yeah, so the, the Big 12 is changing. I agree with that. Uh, so what? And for Texas, it boils down to – can Steve Sarkeesian give Texas that schematic advantage in the last four to eight minutes of a ball game that they really need? Yep. That they mm-hmm. didn't get all the time last year. You're right. Winning those margins. He's got to get all the time in 2019. And my concern is that, you know, and I, I like Steve Sarkeesian. I think he's a damn good coach. But, I mean, te- I mean listen, they're good coaches in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Damn good coaches damn, in the Big yeah. 12. Uh, go ask all the coaches that Texas tried to beat Gary Patterson and can't do it. And Matt Campbell's a hell of a coach, and Lincoln Rye's a hell of a coach. Hell, people around here in Big 12 country think Mike Gundy's a scrub. <laughs> been around forever. People yeah. are like, yeah, man, he's gone. He's on his way out. He's on the hot seat. I'm like, mm-hmm. damn, he's been in coaching. He's like a dinosaur now. But he's a damn good coach. But people in, this, in Big, 12, Big 12 country disrespect the man. My point is he's going to have to win chess matches, matching wits with some of the best coaches in the country. So it won't be an easy task no. for Steve Sarkeesian. No, not at all. How, Rod, how do you think this league compares to other leagues in the country? As far as that goes, 
Well, like the coaches? Yeah, having a win. I think I think the Big Twelve's coaching. Yeah, I think it's I think it's right up there. The SEC can obviously buy the best coaches and because they they pay big money. But you go look at the track record of the Big Twelve recently. Now, offensively, of course, with Lincoln Rowley, Matt Campbell getting NFL offers, Matt Rule recently, and Cliff Kingsbury. But now, I love the defensive side. Has they have upped the ante, right? The, the, the evolutionary adaptation on defense has now led to Dave Aranda here. Pete Kwiatkowski in this conference. We know Gary Pass has always had a great defensive coach, but John Heacock is one of the most innovative defensive minds in, in any level of football. You got all these guys here. Uh, I'm not even giving props to the Oklahoma State defensive coordinator. I should. Jim, uh, Jim Knowles is one of the best, too. But I think that's now why the Big 12 is different. And Alex Grinch. Because Oklahoma still had the best mm-hmm. defense in the Big 12 this year. So that's the difference now. You've never had this many good defensive minds in the Big 12 at one time. Pound but, for pound for pound, I think it's the best – it, the, this league's got the best coaches in the country. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, listen, I don't disagree with that, man. But I know yeah, people call us a Big Twelve homer when we say that. But to me, I'm like, okay. that's the reason that the NFL loves Big Twelve coaches. I, the NFL has tried to poach more Big Twelve coaches than SEC coaches recently. And that's, I'm not disrespecting the SEC. Right, they have yeah. great coaches. I'm just saying mm-hmm. they're great coaches here, man. Yeah, nobody's mm-hmm. coming after Kirby Smart or anything like that. Yeah. You know, go, like tell that, go, that, go tell that to all the guys that have across college, the college game, across the NFL game, that have gone to John Haycock to try to study this inverted Tampa two defense. That have tried to poach Lincoln Riley. That want to know about his offense, like you said, Rod. That have tried to poach Matt Campbell. When Matt Rule, uh, Cliff Kingsbury got fired. We'll take mm-hmm. you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I told the Big Twelve is respected in terms of the coaching acumen. I agree with you, especially on that. in the NFL. Yep. Yeah. But it's 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 weird though. You've talked about the Big Twelve was ahead of everybody, and like Andy Reid said, college football has been ahead of the NFL. It's five years ahead of the NFL. Okay, so every now year. the NFL is ten years behind the Big Twelve. Yeah, so now <laughs> the NFL is now basically what the Big Twelve was. Yeah, like five ago. years ago or ten years ago, and now the Big Twelve is going into this hybrid spread ball control role where it's going to be weird. Yeah, about I uh, you know I listen I try to listen as much sports talk radio just to get vibes from different mm-hmm. cities but i love the ticket in dallas i love bob Sturm and what bob does but oh he does a good job a, a couple years ago he was talking about that at that point the trend was nfl defenses are going more predominantly nickel as mm-hmm. their base defense it's probably four or five years ago oh yeah and i'm thinking i've been playing base nickel in the big 12 since 08 i was gonna say yeah right before that we were playing as base, and now, yeah, as I say, and I think pretty soon, I'm not saying dime will be the base, but the NFL actually is now, they're going past what the Big 12 did. They're going more yeah, dime personnel. You go look at Kansas yeah. City, their base is dime. I was wondering, like, when you look at, like, the Broncos draft, like, Caden Stearns was one of, what, three safeties, I think, the Broncos drafted? Yeah. And, and I was like, well, at first, you're like, wow, that's a lot of safeties. I'm like, well. Look, look who's at the top of their division. Yeah. No, look the Raiders. The Raiders well, are doing the same thing. The Raiders are drafting a ton of defensive backs. And yeah. I mean, nowadays, yeah. skill set-wise, when there are five skill guys, they all have to have the skill to catch the ball. So, like, it should be that you have five DBs on there at minimum just to be able to defend that because you don't find tight ends and running backs that aren't able, unless you're a niche team like the Titans and a handful of others that have different personnel stuff. Normally, you got five threats coming at you. Yeah, that's why, getting back to, like, that Tyler Owens conversation, it's like, dude. And get guys like that on the field. Mm-hmm. Like you got the size to play inside at linebacker depth, and you got the speed got to be able to, to, be able to run on. with corner, run with wide receivers in the DBs. Mm-hmm. Dude, you should be trying. I, if I was, if I was, somebody, I'd be like, Coach, where do you want me to play? Yeah, I'll play linebacker. I'll play anything. Because in the NFL, a guy like that's gonna end up playing. Dude, I, I'm not joking. Montreal Meander. Did you? If you can keep it up with Montreal Meander, yeah. Is he playing linebacker for the I Browns? So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not joking. 
Yeah. He's playing like line. He's just a like wide receiver. Like Meanders in the league. In the league playing linebacker. Go look it up. So my point being, if I'm Tyler Owens, Tyler Owens, just go to Quick and say, the way you want me. I run a, I run a 10-4 and yeah. I'm 6-3. Like, where do you want me? Adrian Colbert's another one of those big track guys that Texas never really figured it out. Never He's figured it out. In the league. Still in the league. Which, by the way, Bill Belichick likes And those him. guys yeah, get paid yeah. like safety exactly. too because the labels, those guys with those. They get paid like safety. And that's more money than yeah. linebacker. Yeah, and, and if a, a, a smart coach is going to be like, all right, you can't cover a wide receiver, but you can cover all these tight ends and running backs. Yeah, let's go, let's go with it. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. you know, that was one thing. There was one other random nugget of info that I pulled and wanted to share before we ended up, but just the amount of screen plays to non-screen plays. Oh, that's good. I love that. Give me 5.6% more screens ran by Alabama than Texas. So you're already talking right there, and that's with Najee Harris as you back, not necessarily with a guy like Bijan who could be a plus. So you go from it's literally more than a 33% increase because Texas only was at 14.7% of passes were screen passes. Mm. And then you have over 20%. It was like 20.3. But you're talking percentages. You're increasing that by more than 35% of screen passes whenever you compare the two. And I would say Sark maybe even Mm. running more with a guy like Bijan back there instead of more of a bruiser like Najee Harris. Yeah, hold that thought, Matt, because that's a good teaser for next week. Uh, And and, and to add to that before we get out of here, um, I finally asked Sark at coaching school at his press conference, about because I know he hit in the spring and said, oh, we might look at some two back stuff." I asked him how you know how much two back with two tailbacks have you used, and I brought up Atlanta because mm-hmm. you you did the research rod and I've I've done the research too to show hey yeah because Kyle Shanahan we're not gonna go down the rabbit hole yeah. Kyle Shanahan's a big 20, 20 and twenty one personnel guy but Sark put his own spin on it with two tailbacks he said actually the first time he really tinkered with it and did more of it was at Washington. Especially that yeah. one year of Washington, he had Bishop Sankey and Chris Polk, and he ran a lot of 20 and 20 to 21 personnel with two tailbacks and did it the okay. following year. So it didn't really do it much at SC. Obviously didn't need to do it mm. at Bama. But a two-tailback offense is not foreign to Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah. And to Matt's point, with as much as Sark liked using the running backs in the passing game, mm-hmm. and I think, man, the more Bama people I talk to that pump up Keelan Robinson. They are pumping them up. I think we've undersold that thing. He's like we, a little Bijan Everybody can talk set. about this offense being built around Bijan, and, and that's not inaccurate. I think this offense is going to be built around the running back position, period. I agree with you. I, we can save that and get to that yeah. next week. But I've been – hell, man, I've been I've – been, I think I've been trying to get these Texas coaches to play two back ever since – Dude, I want to say Joe Bergeron, hmm. Jonathan Malcolm Gray, Brown. Oh, Malcolm, Brown. Malcolm Brown. Because they times. did in 2013 in that Texas OU game, those two guys were running two back sets. They together. did it the last time I remember Texas doing. They did. They did a little bit. I wanted them to do that, more. That was of one it. of the first times they had I ever so saw many it. great. Yeah, yeah, backs in that time. Uh, Jeff Trailer and um, Jay Norvell. Jay Norvell. They did a little staff. version of it with Deontay Foreman and, and Chris Warren. Was it Jay Gray? Mm-hmm. And and then but Chris Warren. Chris Warren was involved with it too. Okay, yeah, but you're right with that group. That was and a little bit of it. Since uh, y'all brought up the name Keelan Robinson, I remember this nugget from 2019 was whenever he actually got some rushes mm-hmm. with Alabama at 39 rushes. But you know how I brought up the yards uh, after contact stat. And basically, if you were to like be leading the year, Kareem Hunt did it 4.65 yards back in 2014. We're talking about the historic aspect of how good Bijan Six is. Keelan Robinson. 4.77 on his 39 attempts, which in most years will be right near the top or leading yeah. at the top every single season. Yeah. So that's, that's really good after contact numbers for a guy that could be your backup. Yeah. 
I love it. Uh, and we'll talk more about that next week. So just uh, a little what's to come. Rod, next week will be uh, next week will be your last Longhorn Blitz as a not married man. Uh, yes, actually. It'll be the last one. Man, that's crazy. But you're right about mm-hmm. that. It's coming fast. Rod will be married right around the when corner. he's coming back fast, in, the, man. in early August. Yeah. Uh, so yes, but we'll we'll uh, so we'll have a good Texas football conversation before Rod heads off to uh, to get married, mm, get mm, that thing done. Hell yeah, let's get this done, <laughs> get it over with. So we'll do all that uh, next week on the show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, be appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049-1019 AM1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B on the triple option each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Shameless book. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our classic shows, our interviews, and archives are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. Click the follow button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz when it drops, and don't forget to like us and leave us a review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.